You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Leon. Let's go! Hello everybody and welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 81. Today it is just me and sitting opposite me somewhere in another part of the UK, it's Leon. Hey, hey. And I can say you're sitting opposite than me because um, before we actually started the cast, Leon said he had a window to the back of him and I've got a window in front of me. <laughs> so I guess that almost makes sense. Uh, yeah, you're, maybe yeah. you're looking over my shoulder. Are you south facing? Because I'm south facing. Um, I am, no, I'm north facing at the moment. Oh, so we're back to back. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an anime intro. Yeah. (laughs) You and Leicester, me in London. (laughs) Wait, hold on. If I'm south facing and you're north facing, we are facing each other because you're in London and I'm in Leicester and I'm north. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So we are facing each other. There we go. American listeners, you're learning a bit more about our geometry Geography, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> geography, yeah. A little bit of geometry, maybe. I don't know. Like, if you're going to start drawing lines on maps, then yeah. But anyway, so um, this is going to be like the first one we do this year that's not like a big presentation about a specific writer and or book. So um, this is us doing the thing that you've gotten used to us doing, which is talking about our recent reads. And what I've done is rather than compile a list of like, new number one type stuff and things like that. I've just picked a few of the things that I've been reading recently that I've really enjoyed that I've not mentioned yet over the past couple of months. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty good list and there's some really exciting stuff here, actually. Um, so before we get into that, I just wanted to bring up the fact that Lock and Key is now live on Netflix and I am three episodes in. How is um, it? Yeah, me and Sophie have been watching it, and Sophie's really invested. And it's really interesting watching this with someone who's never read the books. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, because it is, it, I mean, it, it is very different to the books, but not, well, it's different, but it's not different. It's like, um, it has chosen to focus more on the magic and less on the visceral horror of the original material, mm. which works very well for me. Um, by episode three, you're into the head game stuff. Um, if you've already read the comics, this isn't spoilers because this very much is in line with the way the books do things and the general line from A to B start to end is there. It's just goes about things slightly differently. Um, and yeah, so by episode three, you're into the head game stuff and that stuff's on point. And while it is different, updated and modernized, I feel it is still faithful to the main, like the main line of the book. And it does still, yeah, it has that lock and key spirit and it's still the, I I love it. Like, you know, for, for a lock and key TV show, this is exactly what I probably, you know, would have expected. I mean, if I had it my way, I'd have had like a proper full on true adaption of the comic, but that's just because I'm me and I really enjoy the lock and key comics. But this for me works as a TV show because it's also going to have that wider appeal Mm. and it's not too visceral, which means it has that wider appeal, which means, um, cause I know, I know, um, 
like watching this with Sophie because Sophie's not into things that are overly horrific or ugly. Yeah, yeah. On TV. She doesn't like watching things that are like super, super like violent and monstrous. So while I really enjoy like deep, dark horror stuff and like evil monsters and things like that, I don't, Sophie, Sophie's not so much into that, but she likes like magical stuff and um, things that are like whimsical. And I think this has that in spades. So I think that's where that that's where the strengths of this TV show are. I mean, have you watched any of it yet? No, I said I was hoping to have watched at least four episodes before recalling this, but um, yeah, wasn't able to get to it. But from what I've seen of like trailers and stuff, it does look very like more colourful than I was uh, than I was expecting. But yeah, is in expecting like in my mind's eye of an adaptation, but thinking about it as a Netflix property and a netflix adaptation it does sort of fall in line because it does have some visual echoes of some of the style of like umbrella academy would you say um that's a fair comparison yeah the house Hmm. and the aesthetic of it i guess it has that umbrella academy thing going on but it's not as um because Umbrella Academy, I mean, I think this is just because Jared Way wrote it, but even in the uh, the TV adaptation, it's very much a My Chemical Romance music video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas this isn't. So yeah, yeah. This has like a um, little bit of the later Harry Potter films about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. But it's 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 very good. And but, um, it's a very good adaptation. Without any spoilers and um, knowing how uh, like how deep you are into the show at the moment, would you say it carries any of the darkness that's in the book, especially at the beginning? Or, yes or... and no. Okay, that's interesting. So, so, like, yes, it does carry the darkness of the book, not in the same way that the book does yeah yeah which i i I think on the face of it sounds probably like a good thing considering Mm. like the space and time between when the book came out and the fact that it's a book stuff like that um things generally work a bit different on tv to dance around the issue a bit more but um yeah i'm excited to check it out i think i'll probably start it tomorrow yeah i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna say something now that you may think is a little bit spoilery um for the I mean, book or think, for the show for the show i don't think it's spoilery i think this is just like me talking about the method of the show but trauma is passed out in flashbacks okay so that's what i'm gonna say okay on that point that you were asking there and yeah. it's done and yeah it's 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 very good in the way it's done and I, I quite like it um the main character in the show key house itself steals the show <laughs> Like me and Sophie having just bought a house, actually, we're spending a lot of the watch commenting on the house and the interior <laughs> design. So we were like, oh, those are orig- like the original floors. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. This house is amazing, kind of thing. So this is what happens when you become an adult. <laughs> so, so that, that, this is something that would have been a concern to me. Because um, it's always a cliche to say, like, oh, and the uh the house uh, or the location the city or the the house whatever is a character in in its own, in its own right but in lock and key that is literally the truth so yeah. that's definitely something they they have carried on into the the netflix adaptation oh yeah for sure like in in the comics the lock and key comics key house is 
a character of its own. Like, I mean, um, I think the, uh, the, the creative team behind lock and key, um, in some of like the extra stuff you get with the books, um, it, it is mentioned that the house, the design of the house, um, I think it's, is it the artist, uh, Gabriel Rodriguez? Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a, a, um, an architect by trade. And this is something Mm. we've mentioned on the cast a few times. And he's actually like full on designed this house and things were where where things were and and for uh, as a writer joe hill would keep getting told no you can't do that because for him to be standing in that part of the house you won't be able to see him from that window and things like that because of the way it's been designed so they were very serious about the house (laughs) and i really enjoy that about it and i like that and i like that they've kind of carried that into the show that's good to hear yeah um so i mean other things uh, over the past two weeks. Uh, so there's this thing coming out called X-Ray Robot. Um, I think it's dropping in March. And okay. um, it's my guy, Mike Alred. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it's on. Uh, it's going to be on Dark Horse Comics. And wow. Like, I, I saw some variants the other day. Some variants that are homages to various rock album covers and things like that. And, mm. like that stuff blows me out of the water anyway at the best of times, but yeah, these were just amazing. I, um, it's your world's coming together. Exactly. Yeah. I tweeted about it because it's just so damn beautiful. Uh, and these things are just like absolutely gorgeous in the best way. Like you cannot like not love these. Um, there's a one in particular that is a, um, an homage to tools lateralus, um which i felt was like particularly gorgeous and that is now my current like lock screen on my phone so yeah i'm i'm like well into these our red serving up the goods as usual yeah indeed um it's uh, so i'm going to find you some information now on x-ray robot because we're going into this rabbit hole now so X-Ray Robot. So uh, here's the blurb for this upcoming book. So this is 25th of March 2020 is when issue one is available. Max is a family man seeking a more interesting life. While conducting a new experiment at work, the fabric of his reality is torn before his eyes and a robotic figure appears claiming to be his 277 year old self. The robot is able to X-ray multiple dimensions and battles an holistic entity from another dimension who wants to take all life to its pre-Big Bang status. Max and the robot embark on an interdimensional road trip through past and future to take down the Nihilist and save the universe. So, yeah, this is like Michael Red's latest psychedelic trip. Um, I mean, like, I, I love his work anyway. He's one of my favorite artists. He's like, and, and his wife, Laura Red, her color work is just like absolutely amazing. And like, he writes really well as well. Like Alred's writing is just like spot on for like this psychedelic stuff that he does. And it's just, it's just an absolute trip and it's a great place to lose yourself. It's the kind of thing that you would want to read on a beach or on a sunny day, maybe like fall asleep between chapters and have some weird dreams. Like that's how I describe his work. Cause <laughs> it is like, yeah, it's like um, taking LSD without having to touch the stuff. Well, you got to compare is... now. 
Yeah. <laughs> Got to take some and, and see if that's accurate. <laughs> I don't know. It's all super vibrant and hyper realized. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Um, and yeah, we've we've actually well, I've had the good fortune of being able to meet him at a signing as well, and he's such a nice guy. So yeah, yeah. Uh, X-ray robot and these these rock homage covers are something else as well. Um, you've got one like for Madness is one step beyond. Um, you've got one for like these are these are albums that are like mainstays on a lot of my playlists and stuff on Spotify. Like a lot of the stuff I listen to. So you know these are these are like deep into my musical cave, as it were. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm well in on all of that. Um, and you should check out those variants. Uh, if you can find the tweet on the Ace Comicals timeline, they're all listed there with me sort of like popping off about it. So yeah, check that out. Um, Leon, been up to anything across these last two weeks? I have, I have. Um, gosh, what is time now? Um, last Tuesday, no, last Wednesday, um, I went to one of the Guardian Masterclasses, and this is a uh, series of kind of like specialised lectures um, yeah. that the Guardian host, and they, in, in various different fields, they... Uh, get people in to do like a lecture for three hours and it's usually in a particular field well this one was uh about comics and the class was done by the master class i should say was done by uh the one and only uh kieran gillen so um this is a weird one because this is one that um rahul i think had shared in the chat like way back when november or something and I think later that evening, maybe in the middle of the night or something, I thought, oh, screw it. This seems, this seems like it'll be interesting. And I bought the tickets, uh, but like, I completely forgot. So it was only like, um, so it wasn't on my calendar or, or anything properly. And then uh, my Eventbrite came, uh, flashed up on, on Wednesday. And it was like, oh, yeah, you've got this thing today. And I was like, what? Oh, yeah. So I had to look through my emails <laughs> and I'd set it up on an email that I only use for like Amazon notifications, stuff like that for some reason. And I must have auto logged in when I when I got it. But I was like, oh, crap. So they've been sending me emails saying, looking forward to seeing you in a week's time and stuff. So I was like, OK. So luckily it was in it was held at Amnesty International, um, their offices in Shoreditch. So I zipped up there and um, yeah, it, it was a uh, quite a packed uh, room of people. Uh, I, it looks like, it looked like a mix of people who you probably bump into at like Fort Bubble and likely have had people speaking uh, t- behind me talking, uh, mentioning like Fort Bubble and stuff like that. And it, it was quite nice to be in a, in a room of uh, comic book uh, aficionados. And um, yeah, the 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 masterclass itself is re- really good. Um, Gillen sp- split it into three parts. Um, one was named the, the first one was named Fundamentals, and this is the the sort of overview, the broad strokes of like introduction to 
understanding comic book form a bit more and uh, like links to various different resources, uh, analyzing scripts and, and and like panel structure and all that. And then you had the second part. So the first part was more like building blocks, writer focused. And then the second part was less fundamentals. And this was more of your like your two one class because if the first one was the one one and and this was like a, more into the relationship between a writer and artist and certain things to keep in mind when you're coming into this partnership and working with an artist and obviously Gillen's worked to uh, various different artists most notably uh, Jamie McKelvey uh, for quite for quite a while. So it was uh, really nice to get some insight into uh, different things and different challenges that he's run up to and like hearing what best practices are, but how that doesn't always work out that way. So it was very um, enlightening and illuminating in that way. And then the third part was uh, referred to as, I think it was like uh, even less fundamentals or something like that. And this was a proper sort of dive into like counting panels and structure and pacing and all that. And it, it was really good. It, um, like if you've read any of Kieran Gillen's work, he's quite a, quite a funny, funny guy, um, like quite deadpan uh, funny. And um, a lot of his lessons and his... Um, slides were quite uh, hilarious as well as really informative and I was uh, scribbling down notes in my uh, my Wonder Woman uh, moleskin pad <laughs> on brand, gotta keep on brand uh, and yeah it was good um, I had a really good time with it and if anything it makes me wish that more um people in these fields would do some of these because I'd definitely be game for them, especially uh, Gillen mentioned during that, that it'd be really cool to have, uh, to like hear a one, basically hearing this, like a masterclass done, but by a comic book artist, because then it's like on the other side of that equation. And it's in ways a different window in, into, into that world. And, um, a different because you're at a different point in the pipeline if you're not a writer artist it's like hearing from like the cinematographer this is this is a bad analogy really because as we all know the artist is more like the director but um it, it it's like hearing from a different person who works in a, a different someone who works in a different role um, but is working on the same stuff and like hearing from the VFX supervisors how they dealt with this particular challenge because we n- normally we always hear from the directors. So yeah. it would be really cool to do that and uh, I'd be game for checking them out and mm. um, I would recommend if you see anything similar like this pop up. Unfortunately, they likely going to be London-based. I know, uh, this is what annoys me but, about uh, this because... <laughs> yeah, if you see any of these pop up, I would definitely give my thumbs up and say check it out. I really wanted to check this one out, to be honest, but being, you know, it's it's in London and I, it's not so easy for me to get to London sometimes. So. 
<laughs> you know, it would have been something that would have been fun for me to check out, I think, because I do, I mean, I like seeing the creative process laid out. This is what I enjoy about comics. I like getting behind the curtain. Um, and I mean, I, I read, I read a lot of like these resources, like the, um, the Scott McCloud stuff and all of that kind of thing. And I do, I do enjoy seeing it broken down in front of me and it gives me a new perspective when I'm reading comics and reviewing comics mm. and talking about comics to you guys. And, um, it is, I mean, I just gen, I just genuinely love the phenomenon that is comics. So anything like this is always interesting to me and I'd love to be able to make comics one day. Um, and like, I've seen I mean, like the scripting as well, like a lot of it depends on your artist, doesn't it? How you would script something. I'm sure you probably mentioned some of this, Jamie McElvey, did he? So like, yeah, yeah. I mean, some, some artists will prefer very, very loose instructions where some would like a really detailed page full of notes about how each character should be, you know, positioned and looking and things like that. Um, And it's always a heavy focus on like the relationship between like the writer and the artist. Mm. It's always fun to see different scripts and, and see how different creative teams handle that because I've seen a lot of, uh, like in uh, director's cuts of various issues of comics or in the back matter of various comics, sometimes you get scripts included and mm. it's fun to see how these scripts are written down and how that might um like how how an a, an artist then interprets that into the full, uh, the the fully formed thing that you hold in your hand, the fully formed pamphlet or magazine or whatever, or that you know the fully formed file, the PDF file on your your iPad that you've bought on Comicsology or whatever. You know, it's just that kind of like how that process works and how everything fits together. And, yeah. yeah, and like um. One of the things that was uh, quite, I don't know, good and optimistic about it is that, um, like, people know, like, with, like, film and TV, there's, like, a set script, um, like, format that you use. And one of the Mm. things that's great about comics, but also daunting for new uh, writers or new people getting in, is that there's no sort of standard template. And it's about um, working with a... Uh, template and uh, structure that works best for you and um, the, your artist, if you're the, uh, like a writer, um, because it's all about like the script itself is not an endpoint. All it is really is uh, a uh, way to convey ideas to the person you're working with, and then that person is interpreting the script um in their in their way and the whole thing is about the relationship being more um symbiotic and uh different people have different energies and usually as a writer you'd be writing to to different people's energies and some people are uh more like operatic and more um you give them some sentences and they 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 uh, build a, a beautiful canvas out of it, and then other people want like all like the 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 beats like panel per panel, as you mm. were mentioning before. So it, yeah. it it was really nice to hear from someone who's been in the industry for a while and talk about how they maneuver that with the different people that they they work with. 
Mm. You, it's about adapting your writing style. Um, moving on from there, I guess we should start cracking into the list of comics we've got for you today. So the first thing I'm going to bring up is one that I read, which was probably one of the best um, indie comics of last year. And that is Sara, which was released uh, by TKO Studios. Now, TKO are like a relatively new on the scene comics publisher. And what they do differently to other comics publishers is they publish the whole story all at once. So I think this is quite a cool idea, actually. If you go to the TKO website, so uh, tkopresents.com, um, you can check all of this out. But the way they do things is they will have a creative team create an entire story and then release it as a six-issue box set and a trade paperback at the same time. So you can either buy, and, and you can buy hard copies. So you could buy six hard six issues, hard copy that comes in a little box set, or you can buy a trade paperback of the same story. And they do this in, you know, in digital formats as well. So um, Comixology, these are all available there. This is where I picked this up. Um, and I, I think it's a really good way of doing it. Of you just release the whole story all at once. I think I think that's quite a um an interesting way of doing it as well. Yeah, because it would definitely more conducive to the way that I actually read comic books. And I think um mm. it's a good reaction to the whole thing of people often uh wanting to wait for the trade. So it's a good experiment to have and I think now is a good yeah. time to do it. Yeah, so TKO is this sort of revolutionary comic studio who are kind of playing with the the way that, that you know they they're, they're they're changing the market and and they and I think this is a way that is actually probably better for the comics market. Um, I mean, I like having individual issues and I like going on Wednesdays to pick them up, but I also like the idea of having the entire story all at once because it can prevent things from, especially with short. Um, short form comics like like, limited sh- runs yeah limited runs and stuff yeah because like you've got a limited run say that say that like the first two issues of that limited run bomb even though it's even though you're really enjoying it like it could end up getting cancelled you never get to see the end of it but at least this way is all out there at once and you purchase it and you get to see the whole thing all the way through you can binge read it which is great um kind of like the netflix model where they release an entire season of something yeah 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 um and yeah i was late to the party on this tko stuff um but yeah i mean you can binge the whole thing like i did so i bought this i bought six issues on comicsology and i binged it um so what can i say about sarah garth ennis check war story check russian war story set in world war ii you are entirely speaking my language um so this is this is the thing that Garth Ennis is very good at, and that is war stories. And he manages to tell these tales and suffuse them with such harsh, stark reality and grit. And you feel as though you're hearing them as a cautionary tale, maybe over a drink somewhere or something like that. And the moral always seems to be that, or the the, the, the prevailing line always seems to be that, that that war is an ultimately hopeless thing, and war is always going to leave scars, and it's always dirty. And, you know, it's never heroic. 
it's the figures involved they're involved in this and they're doing a job this is a job for them to do and they do it with cold efficiency um and there's always a journey where these figures are stripped down they lose parts of themselves along the way they are whittled away and carved slowly to the point that they are this streamlined cold and efficient tool this soldier now i realize that i'm probably just describing the way he writes punisher books most recently punisher the platoon and punisher soviet because that's these you know he he writes these these great pun these great punisher stories um and he he writes these great war stories using the punisher so this is like a war story like outside of his punisher stuff like applying those same rules i guess to a different set of toys um and yeah it, it just it just works so well and the art here in this book is also key to how the book so deftly communicates the this this like cold harsh russian winter and the strength and the resolve that these characters have to show it's like stark realism with no detail spared like i feel like i'm getting frostbite just looking at it i can smell the damp cold wood and feel the snow beneath my feet and the cold air burning as i breathe in it's like so it's set during World War II and it's about the Nazi invasion of Russia. And there's this platoon of female snipers who are stationed at the front line as the Nazi war machine advances. And these women are not only soldiers, but they also appear to serve a purpose as propaganda for the Union. So tales of their exploits and conquests appear to be maybe getting embellished and used to boost morale. So like when they hit the newspapers elsewhere in the Soviet Union and things like that. And we follow this character, Sarah, and we get to see some of her past and her training and how she came to be this cold, efficient tool. We get to see the whittling and the carving of Sarah, as it were. And we see through her eyes and we also get to see what what is now happening. Now she is this, this cold, efficient tool. We get to see how this cold, efficient tool is put to use. Um, and we see through her eyes and uh, she will narrate portions of the story as well. Um, and the way this 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 works, I, I just cannot help but see an awful lot of Frank Castle in this, um, which is probably another reason I love this book, because I like me some Punisher stories. I like this, this um, the way that they, they, you know, the way that Garth Ennis shows how war changes people is very good. And I think that's another key point to, to how he writes a good war story is the way he shows how people change during war, how war changes somebody and how it affects their character even afterwards. And the trauma that's left behind, which is something that he applies very well to Frank Castle. Um, and yeah, the, the, the art in this book, the start realism, the, it's, um, it's depictions of the Russian winter and the snowy Russian wastes and, the woodlands and everything else and the way that he the way that the artist interprets garth ennis's script and and draws these amazing skirmishes and things like that and, and the way these skirmishes play out on the page the passage of time um you know like panel layouts and how we are treated to this passage of time and, and how these Basically, how like how much waiting is involved in being a sniper? <laughs> like a lot of this book is waiting, and mm. and you don't. I mean, like people people 
you, you get the, the sniper thing gets glorified, doesn't it? Like if you think of, of, of well, playing 360 no scoping and yeah, yeah, American yeah. Sniper. But it, you know, the waiting, the patience, the calculation involved in being able to get the perfect shot and everything else, it's all there. And it is, it is the, the stark realism of being a sniper. That is what it is like being a, sh- a sharpshooter in the army. You know, you can't, you, you don't, it's not, it's not like you can't just zoom down the scope. There's a guy bang. It's not mm. like that. You know, you, you have to, all this stuff you have to factor it. And they, they, they do this very well. And, you know, they really must do their research when they, uh, when they write these kind of things, because it shows and it is done with a deft hand. It's kind of based on true events as well, supposedly. So I, assume, I really like this book. I assume there's uh, like a thread uh, or an element to do with like lost humanity and like the cost yeah. and all that. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at with the whittling and the, hmm. yeah, that's the p- people being stripped down to become a cold efficient tool. Like you lose your humanity. You become this thing. Um, and uh, if I just rattle through the full list of credits for that, that is uh, written by Garth Ennis. Art is Steve Epting. Color art by Elizabeth Brightweiser. Letterer Rob Steen. Cover art by Steve Epting and editor Sebastian Gurner. Sebastian Gurner is uh, your guy from Scales and Scoundrels, which they keep teasing us that that's coming back soon. And I cannot wait because it is like, if there's one thing I miss, if there's one comic that got cancelled that I wish hadn't been cancelled at Scalers and Scoundrels, it's like, why did you cancel that? It was such a good book. Like, it was this all-ages D&D tale type thing, and it was absolutely fantastic. The art in it was, like, really good as well. It was just beautiful. Um, and that's the thing. I I, soon. Like, linking back to what you're saying regarding, like, uh, Tico's, like, release um, uh, plan. Yeah. It, I, I feel that it will benefit. Like, I, I don't think that it's like the the all, all cases solve that you'd want it to be. And you think like, mm. yeah, the whole comic book industry should be like that. Um, I, I, I'm aware of and obviously not aware of lots of different complications that would prevent that from being a real thing. But I think at the very least, it seems like it's a good... Uh, a good delivery system for particular sets of stories, ones that just wouldn't do well on a uh, one-month release schedule, Um, Mm. one where you just need to get it all out there because it'll be more effective to get that that bang all in one go. I do feel like a lot of recent image titles could have benefited from that. Hmm. I do, but I mean, I, I'm not saying all all comics. I'm not saying this is this is the the thing that should fix the comic because I'm not saying the comics industry uh, that everyone needs to go in this direction. No, no. I'm just saying that more publishers maybe need to adapt it. Yeah. For um, I mean, obviously they're going to keep the monthly output, but I, I feel like if more publishers adopt, adapted this approach, um, it might help the industry a little. Comics yeah. might flourish a bit more. You know. Uh, I- I think so, because like, as we've lamented many a times, uh, especially me personally, is that oftentimes I'll be left wanting with an issue one, and not particularly because the issue itself was bad or even slight, but I always feel like at times, even when they're like really well done and really well paced, I don't feel I've got enough of a look into the world to be able to decide, yeah, I'm going to continue with this thing. So sometimes it's nice to not even have to worry about that and instead yeah. 
just be able to boom like and it, there's obviously there's a certain um there's a certain delight in when you know uh, and i think that it's a commentary on like the 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 lives that we're leading now but like something nice when you someone says a number and the number's low and they said it's complete or it's a whole arc in this small number and you're like oh that makes it a lot more uh easy to digest easy to sink my teeth into than if it's like yeah we've got this thing running we don't know how long it's going to be and blah blah and it's coming out maybe forever like a a shonen jump (laughs) comic or something like that (laughs) and like you do have that that fear uh just because time for a lot of us just isn't the same and yeah we're in peak media which is bad to say but like there's so much things sometimes it's nice just to to have a complete package just say like yeah just just check it out you're not going to be left hanging or if you are going to be left hanging it's more going to be leave you wait uh, wanting more mm. but you've got a complete arc and another complete arc is on its way what i what i really like actually because you just mentioned shonen jump and uh what i really like about western comics sometimes versus manga and japanese comics is that shonen jump and, and and like these these jump comics they do this this thing where it's just like continuous and it goes on continuous for something ridiculous like 980 chapters and it's not like there's self-contained there are self-contained arcs within that but you need to know what's going on in previous arcs in order to understand the arc after that so you have to be there at the beginning or you have absolutely no hope and you have to start at the beginning and try to catch up. I mean, arguably, which I, I find is the case a lot. And <laughs> arguably you could say the same about like long running, uh, well, DC and Marvel comics. Not really because there's always a hopping on point. Yeah. I think that's what the arcs are in like a Shonen jump manga though. Cause I think that <laughs> a kid like one piece, for instance, is still marketed to kids but a kid who's just of age now, who's just turned six or something, who's been sat in front of One Piece, they're not expected to uh, <laughs> go back to episode one now. I think that, um, like how it was when we were kids, yeah, you'd just start watching in the middle of an arc and then the arc would finish and then the new arc yeah. would begin and you'd sort of like uh, get get your footing again. And I think that's what the intention is in the same way that with like, superhero uh, comics after like a big event happens and there's some sort of reset or a new a new group comes in it's just uh, the, different, the difference is you've you've got like western comics that branch off and you, you you get the resets and you get the the you know the new issue ones and everything else and you get this kind of like um you get these new stories that you can hop on and enjoy whereas with these because they you get different creative teams taking over and taking it in different directions where so with manga it's it's very linear it's very you know, this is the journey. Often one mangaka. Yeah, the journey does not deviate. Often only one writer, artist, mangaka, yeah. And um, you are jo- you're hopping on at some point along that journey, but maybe you feel like you've missed out because you weren't two stops back. So something's going on now and some guy's got some cool new power and you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's just like you-, you have to go back and find out. And I guess, I guess that's kind of, I mean, it is kind of cool, but in the same way, it just makes the idea of picking up something like One Piece a daunting task. Whereas the idea of maybe deciding one day you want to start reading Batman, you could just grab a book off a shelf. 
like any any like self-contained Batman story. Uh, I, 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 I think the thing I I would definitely agree with is that um, yeah, if you like a particular character or IP, um, that you can't read like I don't know. Um, Naruto Arkham Asylum or something like that or no, Ner- yeah. Naruto the Killing Ninja like you, you <laughs> haven't really got those opportunities which is one of the things that because you know I always complain about how much I hate long-running Marvel and DC stuff and I just don't engage with it these days yeah but um yeah you're right in the sense that with with in terms of those particular like long-running IP you don't really have like side stories or like oh here's a contained run about uh, I don't know, uh, Goku uh, on this other planet or something like that. Yeah, you've got more hop in, hop out than you have with manga, is what I'm trying to say. Dating myself with these old references because yeah. I, I don't know what's out anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, moving on from there, that is... Uh, so, go check out TKO Comics because, I mean... I think it's a fairly interesting way of doing things and there's some really cool stuff on there. Some really top notch creators involved as well. So it's worth a look. Um, we got sent a comic, didn't we? We, we, we got, did. um, yeah, we got, we got blasted a book to our inbox by, um, an Australian creator goes by the name of Luke Cartwright. And uh, the artist that works with him is, um, forgive me if I do pronounce this wrong, uh, Lukas Vnucek, um, who is a, a Polish artist, Polish comic artist. And this book is called Obscura. So, I mean, I did a write-up of this on the Ace Comicals website, and you can find my little article, my musings on the tale of Obscura um there if you want to read it um but we were just going to touch on this briefly on the cast as well weren't we leon because you you read a bit of it as well and you wanted to discuss some of it yeah so i've I've read about um a third of it i was hoping to have it completed but life you know but um yeah i'm about uh a third of the way through and i'm looking to uh complete it after postcast but um yeah i uh i read your your write-up which people should check out on acecomicals.com in the article section um and yeah, I was I was um, interested in sort of digging in a, a bit more into like what your general overall takeaway was uh, having completed it. Yeah. So the thing with this was, um, I did I did actually enjoy the comic. So I'll just give you like the little bit of a blurb. Obscura is basically the story of this this boy mortician in a fictionalized version of 19th century Tasmania which back then was known as Van Diemen's Land which um the name itself is something that you know we we don't we don't use that name anymore and there's a reason we don't use that name is because of the the amount of pain and the the d- dreadful weight and baggage that that name carries basically it's the, the brutality of colonialism is embedded in that name. Um, and the book doesn't really deal with that subject, but the artist and writer do recognize that. And there is a short statement at the beginning of the book, which I've reproduced in my article um, with them addressing that they, um, the Australian Island state now known as Tasmania is 
you know, they pay respect to the original, the traditional Aboriginal owners of Tasmania, and they pay respect to those that have passed before them. They acknowledge that today's Aboriginal community are the custodians of the land, which I thought was quite nice. I I, I, I like that they did that. Yeah, I like that I, they addressed that. Yeah, because I was saying to you, uh, saying this to you, uh, just uh, before we were recording, how like I did think it's um, it was a good way to like. Uh, open the comic but also op- open your um your article as well because yeah. i think what you can often get with these type of things like we see this a lot with works that are adapted from or inspired by uh lovecraft uh, stories and even though now we are getting a lot of more like interesting um deconstructions of that type of stuff but i think that even if that's not the intent of the book I think that it's um, it's 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 worthwhile to not uh, zoom past or um, say paint over the these things, trying to try and whitewash them. And I, I do like that straight up. It's just like we're using the historically accurate name, blah blah. But we we recognise the 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 history and we recognise the um, uh, like the the weight and the uh as you said the the baggage for, oh, and the brutality of uh, colonialism before so i did think that was good because it i mean that i know i think it if, if the opposite of wrong footing you is to right foot you then i think that uh this story right foot you and puts you um in a place where if, if you're someone who uh is more um engaged with that history then mm. um you could instantly be a bit like you could be less defensive and just like dive into the story. So I think it, mm. I think it's a useful thing to do, and I think it's it's worthwhile to acknowledge um, uh, thing uh, like some of the history that goes into stuff because none of this stuff is created in a vacuum. But um, exactly, but yeah. like on the comic itself, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the comic itself was I, I I quite enjoyed it by the end. Um, it was something that. Um, it improved as it progressed because this this was eight years in the making and you can see um, how the writing and art improves as the comic progresses, which I thought was really nice. It was like, it's like really nice to be able to see that process. And um, the culmination of eight years work is this book. And I, I, at, at the end of the day, it's pretty good. It's a great effort. It's a, it's a great effort of a comic, as I've said in my, uh, in my write up of it. And um, it's uh, what I really liked about it. The thing that I liked the most about it, was the fact that it plays on this whole penny dreadful thing. So if you are um, familiar with the concept of the penny dreadful, it is uh, these Victorian era weekly pamphlets or publications that would be like serialized tales of um, urban legends like Spring Hill Jack or like supernatural stuff or like... uh, even sometimes st- stories of the exploits of like real life, real life criminals or like um, people like Dick Turpin, for example, like he was like a popular thing in the Penny Dreadfuls stories mm. about Dick Turpin um, and uh, Dick Turpin, the highwayman. And um, you had uh, stories. I mean, like um, you, you're all familiar with Sweeney Todd, right? Uh, well, I'll be, but I don't know. About yeah, younger so, and uh, abroad yeah. listeners. <laughs> so yeah, so Sweeney Todd. Um, I mean, uh, it's been it's been something that's been thrust into the limelight fairly kind of last decade ish recently, when they made a film 
like a uh, musical. Tim Burton's adaptation. Tim yeah. Burton adaptation, yeah. So, I mean, but Sweeney Todd was born, uh, the character Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, who used to cut people's throats and turn them into pies. He was born in, uh, in the Penny Dreadfuls. Hmm. So, in a way, Penny Dreadfuls, even though they weren't comics and they were just like, it was like one image uh, on the front cover that would be the draw, that would draw people in. They were aimed at, at young young men, so uh, young working class men. And um, they did. They, they actually had this great effect on, on like the population because they improved literacy levels like massively because people were buying these to read them. And obviously they were, you know, it, it, because people that couldn't afford books could afford Penny Dreadfuls. So they were buying Penny Dreadfuls and reading Penny Dreadfuls and it improved literacy massively. Um, but like um, the, you'd have the, the drawer of the Penny Dreadful would be like the cover, like the, the picture on the cover, which would draw you in because it would be like this gory picture of some guy getting hung or whatever. And that would be like the, oh my gosh, look at that. And then you would buy it. And, and inside it would just, it would just be like a chapter from a book printed on cheap paper. But I guess in a way it's like a precursor to comics because they were published on kind of a schedule and they were like stories told in like serialization or itemization. I can't say my words. Um, iterized uh, uh, like or or serialized stories like uh, iterations weekly iterations of a story like uh, you get like the next chapter the next week mm, that would yeah, keep yeah. coming back in kind of the same way comics do monthly so it's kind of like the precursor to the comics model in that way um, and that was what i found most interesting about this in the fact that it is written and narrated in the style of um somebody reporting back from you know, like 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 a a, a a guy in London who edits such a publication um, has these stories that have been sent to him from uh, Tasmania, Van Diemen's Land. Uh, letters that have come into him from across, uh, you know, the length and breadth of what was then the British Empire, I guess, of different crimes and things like that. And he's like collating them into this this book. And this the the, the story that we're treated to right now so happens to be the story of. Um, this this boy mortician uh the obscura uh being the name of the publication so the, the comics called obscura but the obscura will be the name of this publication so you would go and buy the obscura um and in the obscura you would have and this would be one of the stories that would be told in the obscura and i quite i quite enjoyed that I quite liked how it was framed. And I think that was the thing that worked for me the most. I liked the originality of that concept. Yeah. That, I think the framing structure is really novel in that way. And yeah, it, it's something that uh, keeps the pages turning. Yeah. That was, that was what kept me on it. And that was what, that was the, the main defining thing that I took away from it. that I really enjoyed that. Um, and I think overall it is quite an enjoyable comic and, um, like I say, check out the write up. They have a website, which is obscuracomic.com. And there's also, if you search for it on YouTube, you can find a video trailer for the comic. Did you watch that, Leon? Oh, I was meant to watch that actually. I've, <laughs> I've got the tab open for it. Um, yeah. but I know I never got, I got around to watching it. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's it's worth a look, and um, yeah, you you learn some stuff reading this as well because I I you know, um, I I was reading this. I finished reading it in the pub on Friday evening, 
So I was sat in the pub, like, you know, like some people sit in coffee shops and and do their note-taking and and writing articles and stuff like that. This is me sat in the pub doing research and things and reading (laughs) this on a tablet with a pint next to me. What what day? What day was this? Friday evening. How are you in a pub on a Friday evening? (laughs) Isn't it like mad loud in there? (laughs) I finished work at four o'clock. And I was in the pub at 4 p.m. This this pub that I go to, a little place called Tun in Leicester, it's quite a quiet place. They do a lot of craft craft beers and things like that. So it's not really like the mad lad setting. Mm, okay, so that's cool. You can go there and you can have a quiet pint. And um, I did I did a bit. I had a couple of drinks while I was doing it. And then I packed up and sat at the bar and talked to the staff there because I'm quite friendly with the staff. Mm. And um, my brother goes in there an awful lot as well. So... <laughs> Uh, I see him in there but yeah we were um so I was like sat at the table like reading this on my tablet with my pint and like I think I think it was like combination of the alcohol and what I was reading because I was just going down this like rabbit hole of research for things like uh, post-mortem photography and like you know Victoriana and, and and Penny Dreadfuls and things like that and I was like getting really into it so yeah, this book taught me something. <laughs> I've got the uh, the trailer running. It's really cool. Like, yeah, I, I, I've said before um, when we mentioned it previously uh, on some previous comics that I always love a good video trailer for a comic. Uh, I think it's something that would be nice to get uh, a bit more of because yeah. if there, if there's one thing with uh, with comics, I always think like there's just not enough promotion to get. Um, people into new ones i mean that that's what the benefit of the lcs was um and why it it needs to survive but um in on online i think there's such a it's such a good resource to get people who aren't lucky enough to have an lcs or um are just not comfortable with that like you might have uh, anxieties and uh not be not feel uh comfortable uh, going in and talking to strangers so um it is a good resource to have like exactly. more than just the odd review on some on like newsarama or ign or something like that it, it, it's yeah. uh it, it's cool to have like a, a trailer that gives you a flavor and a taste of 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 what you're going to be engaging mm. with and and more more common than not actually these video trailers do exist mm. so they are out there they're just never very well advertised so no one advertises the advert which yeah. is why you end up missing them but i'm always like you know surprised because I, I find video trailers for comics that i've or i've been reading for months and all of a sudden it's like oh there's a video trailer for this i think that happened with um everything which is a comic we've spoken about on this cast a few times um oh uh, yeah 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 and it's just it astounds me because this and, and i looked on youtube and it had like a really paltry number of watches like for for something that I would expect to be quite high profile because it's Dark Horse Comics. It's quite a it's quite it is quite a good comic as well. It's something that I would expect to have been shared an awful lot to be quite high profile, but it had a really low number of watches, which I was really surprised at. Because people just aren't these things are out there and they exist, but people aren't finding them. And it's really sad. <laughs> in that way that they aren't they aren't being proliferated like they should be so i mean this yeah. is this is the, this is what social media is good for and this is what people should be using social media for yeah because i remember i think it was the year before last when i was talking about the prism stalker trailer um and how 
like the music, like there, how there are music tracks for each comic uh, put up on the website um, yeah. that like accompany, accompanied it or like set the tone for what the issue is going to be like. And it'd be cool to get um, more of that, but also get more eyes on that and get it, get yeah. it out there somewhere. Yeah, this multimedia, like, um, um, multimedia jamming, I guess, that happens. Like, it, it's like two people playing two instruments jamming away to create something else, like a multimedia experience. It would be nice if if this stuff was a little bit more publicized and people knew about it because it's out there and it's interesting and it's cool and it makes comics a more immersive, more immersive experience. And also it's a good way to advertise comics and bring comics to people that wouldn't necessarily otherwise, you know, because at the minute comics come out and comics happen and people, people that read comics are people that are already reading comics. Cause you don't know about comics unless you go looking for comics. I feel a lot of the time, whereas, you know, you could draw in, new readership by advertising through things they are familiar with like music and youtube i guess you know yeah definitely yeah like if you got so, if you got like if the trailers like that appeared on ads before like videos and stuff uh, it, i think uh, particularly this one would catch your eye before that skip button comes up and you'd want to watch it in entirety exactly yeah and and um yeah just anything like that would be cool just to just to kind of like get things get things a a bit more out there get you know get people going into their lcs's and ordering comics and whatever else and just keeping it alive because we love comics and we want comics to live (laughs) um following on from that actually is a another little indie book that i picked up um we've spoken about uh, this guy's stuff before on Ace Comicals. Um, and I really, really, really do love what this guy does. So this is a book called Manu, uh, which was by Gustavo Vargas. And um, I purchased it from his website, which is gustavovargas.bigcartel.com. And it came signed with a sketch on the inside cover. Now, I've um, this is another... another um, artist and writer that I really, really, really do love what he's doing. And he's, uh, he's quite local actually. He's from Leicester. He lives in Leicester. Um, and he, um, I've met him at the, um, Leicester comic con and, uh, I've seen him at uh, another comics event that was hosted by, uh, my LCS. Uh, he was there selling his stuff and I've had a couple, I've had a chat with him a couple of times and he's, he's a really nice dude. Um, well, he's got these comics called Lima and Trujillo, which we discuss in episode 64. If you want to go back and listen, or I talk a little bit about in episode 64. Um, and it's this like Peruvian cyberpunk biopunk world that he has created. And these stories all exist in this same world. Um, so imagine ghost in the shell, but in South America, and more in tune with nature okay so that's some biopunk or yeah less industrial a lot of it you know like going on in the rainforests and stuff like um like a lot of the uh the original like um native south american stuff going on so a lot of a lot of the tribal elements in there as well oh, like focus on like, things like that yeah focus on the indigenous cultures down there 
Yes, exactly. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I do get like a real buzz from this guy's work. I love his line work and the detail and the movement and the amount of energy he crams into each panel is awesome. And Manu is like the latest tale in in this world set in this plate this world that he has created so it's kind of like this like there's kind of this thread that sit that is between lima trujillo and manu and manu is um also the first volume in um this uh other this 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 uh this this bigger story that he's creating called at um altiplano and this is altiplano volume one um and yeah it's just it's like a great little introduction and a great just another another great window into this little cyberpunk world that he's created that i absolutely love i love this like south it's so original this south american cyberpunk thing this peruvian cyberpunk is is he he turns it peruvian cyberpunk um and it is like an absolute delight it's super dynamic there are some really really creative page layouts and techniques uh, especially with the expression of trauma there's this and facial expressions this is particularly like this is i have this like full page in here that i particularly love it's a favorite of mine it's this gorgeous full page awash with red and it's one of the two protagonists of the story um and she she's got this like horrified spatial uh, facial expression going on and she's reliving a traumatic or painful experience like uh some kind of like um riot and violence going on in a city where she was and um this is i think this goes back to uh uh, lima i think this goes back to lima this one this does um and she has this like this just blank and slightly horrified facial expression and the, the the experience itself, like the the images itself of explosions of what's going on in this in this city, is like playing out across her face. It's almost as if like her face is the panel. So like imagine like you're standing in front of a projector, and you know when you interrupt a projector and the image is on you instead. Mm, yeah, yeah, like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and like across her face, and it's beautiful, and it really did put me in the character's headspace, and. He does these like they're like these little pocket books because he releases them in these like little these like A5 format and they are really nice. Um and this little A5 print, this little page. Oh really? That's like, quite absolutely gorgeous, yeah. That's quite interesting. Yeah. And um there's a, there's other like other like page layouts and things he does like his action beats are just like so on point like all the time. Um uh, there's another one that I particularly like. Uh, another one of my favorites is this uh, one of the the other character, the other main character in the book. She's been ambushed by a jaguar, um, and uh, it's like the jaguar ambushing her from the jungle. And like, there's the the lettering work, the noises of the jaguar, and the way he communicates the confusion with tilting panels and having this kind of like um, this layout and a single panel that focuses on just the eye of the character and just shows you the fear in the eyes of this Jaguar just hopping out, like the whole jump scare element that he manages to like get into this page. Um, the whole way he plays with space and the really inventive way of showing the fast moving action as this Jaguar is like circling this woman. And it's just a great, a great inventive way of showing fast moving action and communicating the adrenaline confusion. It's just perfect. Um, so that's my other favorite page. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like I could, I could go on and on and on, and I could, I could break down 
the whole book in that way. And like some of these like rainforest landscapes he does and everything else and his character designs, his character designs are perfect. Um, and he always has like at the back of the book, there's like a little bit about his character designs and his creative process, which I really enjoy reading. Um, and yeah, he's, uh, so that's his latest one and you can buy this Lima and Trujillo all on his, uh, on his website, gustafofargus.bigcartel.com. Uh, yeah, I'll be giving this uh, a look. Uh, yeah. It sounds really good from what you've said. Mm-hmm. And uh, on Google, checking out some panels and images on some articles, it it does look um, yeah, he, he, um, very different. He write, it, they, you get Spanish and English versions of these mm. as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it, it um, looks uh, yeah. Uh, very different. It has its own unique style to it. Mm. So I'm, 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 I want volume two now. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I want the next bit. I want, I want to see what happens now. Cause I'm loving this, this, cause I like my cyberpunk stuff anyway, mm. but like this biopunk cyberpunk world he's created is really original and really cool. Um, and his character designs, I've actually like, um, I bought a load of stickers off him. Um, like at, at one of the, uh, one of the events I saw him at and I've actually got like, um, like all my pull box, my long, um, like some of my uh, my comic boxes and stuff, like I've put stickers on. I've got like a ca- like his character designs like on my stuff because I just love seeing them. I've got a couple on mm. my computer tower box as well. It's like yeah, <laughs> you go crazy with stickers, don't you? Oh, I love stickers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a child. <laughs> I love stickers, but yeah. So that is Manu, and that is uh, the entirety of it. Writing and art is by Gustavo Vargas. Um. On from there, I guess, is the last one for today, which is one that we both read. Um, And that is an image book called Olympia. And writers for this are Kurt Pires and Tony Pires. And art is by Alex Diotto. Color art by Dee Cunliffe, who um, you may know that name from Redneck. Dee Cunliffe has worked on Redneck for... uh, along with Donny Cates. Uh, design is by Ryan Ferrier and letter art is by Mika Myers. Now this one, uh, there's, a, there's three issues so far. This is, this is another one that began last year with three issues in three of five. So there's a, this is going to be five long. Um, and it's just a love letter to the medium, isn't it? Specifically Jack Kirby. Yeah. There's a lot of Kirby love in there. Uh, I think it's, um, it's more dense um in idea and concept than it initially appears when you first start reading it i'll say Mm, definitely it's this um love letter to jack kirby with this wonderful spielberg-esque leaning in the way that the story is told um it's a book that's like i think is absolutely delightful for long-time comic fans and the fact it's only gonna be five parts long as well bonus um, yeah, I didn't know that going in. I, I yeah. assumed that it would be like possibly 12 issues or something like that. So now that I'm three or five, I'm wondering, whoa, yeah. what's going to happen in four and five? <laughs> well, we're currently three issues deep, so hop on board for the ride, Leon. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so I was just going to read out the uh, the, synop- the blurb for this. Like this is from the image website. So Elon is a latchkey kid who spends his days alone reading comic books. 
until his favorite superhero, Olympian, comes crashing off the page and into reality. But as he nurses his wounded and delirious hero back to health, he discovers Olympian isn't the only thing that came through. Something evil followed him. So first impressions, Leon? Uh, Yeah, so going into it, I really liked how it opens because it opens on the protagonist, Elon, reading a comic book. So the art style is done in uh, that more old school way where you have like Kirby dots, uh, subdued shades of color, uh, more simplified panel structure. So it's like uh, pages of freeze of big action and stuff like that. And uh, immediately it pulled me in in that way because I, I thought like, oh, I like I like how they've uh, they've lent into the premise that way. And then it follows that up with uh, a really cool set of like eight panels of uh and this is all early book stuff so i'm not going into deep story um yeah. but like um he uh notices the time and apparently he's the kid who likes to sneak out read his comics uh under the moonlight and then uh his his mum works as uh, a doctor or a nurse and um they're finishing a shift um and he has to get home before his mum on his bike so you have mm. these cool like uh, like panels of eight are more like conversational panels. Um, and so we see what she's doing on the left side panels and we see what he's doing on the right side panels as he, uh, she's saying goodbye to people and driving. And I, I thought it was the rhythm of it felt so good as it was like uh, one, uh, one, two, one, two, one, two. And then the, the final set of panels uh, is like uh, his mum at the front of the house and him at the back of the house. And then, the 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 minor like ellipsis we have between the panels is like we're just seeing uh like two jigsaw pieces of one image as it shown the house and I thought oh this is a really nice way to to pull you in after the sort of revelation that happens on the page before all of this so I was like oh yeah okay I'm in I'm interested to see where this goes mm, I really do like that I, I I like that he's like out in the woods reading comics. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love the way this opens. I love this, like this. It is totally like a like the comic that he's reading. It's a definite Kirby's Fourth World. Like, yeah, Eagles, yeah, like, yeah. Similarly. It's totally like we like box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some like total Jack Kirby tribute work there, and um, that just kind of like it just lets you. Know, I mean, this book in total really just lets you. It just reminds you of how important this man was in the shaping of comics and the superhero genre. And the book is all about celebrating that genius. I also comment sometimes on the shortcomings and the harshness of the comics industry uh, as well, like and the treatment of its talent and everything. So as well as being a love letter to comics, it's also like, you know, it, it shows the the painful side of working in comics as well, I guess. And, yeah. And yeah. like, I, I think there's a way we can sort of dance about this without going too much into it, but I think it's not saying too much to say that... So I've read the three issues and it's not too much to say that the style um, sort of changes um, mm. to a degree in like <laughs> quite a cool way. So like j- just in ways for like panel layout. So by the time you get to issue three, it's using like the nine panel layout and we're getting really good uses of like blank panel boxes mm. to like um, push time forward or... Or to be like a statement on the panel that just came before. 
And um, the third issue is more focused on a different character that we meet who has some connections between uh, the comic um, that, mm. uh, that Elon's a fan of. And the way how it um, delves into those issues in quite a frank and honest way, like some companies are name-checked <laughs> in that issue, and oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which I thought was quite wild. But like, um, yeah. it, 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 it does... I don't know it feels quite surgical, but like like something I've mentioned before is that I love when um, like properties or like artists themselves use the general to comment or use the specific to comment on the general. So in this case, the specific is the comic book industry, but the general is uh, like all types of whether you're an artist or someone who works on commission or anything like that and, and not being treated the way you should and then yeah. echoing out to everyone else who's ever been in a situation where it just feels like life is taking a complete dump on them all in one go and it's just a thing after another after another that has you just wanting to like uh, call out the universe or God or whatever you believe in and be like, what the hell? What's going on? Exactly. And that that is, yeah, that is issue three in a nutshell, actually. <laughs> But yeah, no, like, um, yeah, so it's, this comic itself is, uh, the art is like this beautiful painted simplicity and character. So this is like the art outside of the comic parts that we've already discussed. It's like this, this beautiful simplicity and character. And when we're treated to the pages that Elon reads, we get the Kirby-esque stuff. Um, and it's like this brightly colored painted, well, I, like like painted like kind of like memories almost yeah because yeah yeah because i just i was going to build off the the point where like it because it it seems to be set in washington state from from comments made in there and it has this like big leafy uh like washington state backgrounds which they work to like highlight the like isolating suburbia because yeah yeah it feels like elon the kid is like like a lot of us, it's like school is just not not the most fun, especially when you can be yeah. s- sitting out um, as a latchkey kid reading comics under the moonlight. It um, it, it handles uh, th- those shifts in, in tone really good, where like the school has this horrible clinical, sterile, yellowy look to it, mm. um, where everywhere else it has like lush greens and cozy blues. And uh, when we have transitions in the same area between daytime and nighttime it's such it's so subtly done but like the the color palette shifts but not in a ding ding it's nighttime people and it's more a case of like this the same location and yeah things have just the hues have shifted slightly and it's, it's you really get, nice you get that day to night transition actually on one of the pages don't you mm. when you sat reading in the woods yeah yeah like across a couple of panels which is a really cool it's a really cool uh passage of time thing that i like that yeah um and yeah, so I mean, this book is funny. It's sad. It's heartwarming. It's heartbreaking. It's nostalgic, and I, I, I guess I would call it comfort food. It's comfort comics. 
So it reminds you, or it reminds me at least, of the magic that first got you hooked into this fantastic world of superpower beings in the first place. Mm. Like when you found that doorway into the fantasy realm where for a while you could escape among the brightly colored brave and bold heroics that you know you find within these pages and stuff. And that was, this is what it brought for me. It just reminded me of when I first found comics. Yeah, and it, it feels like a, a deconstruction of, say the relationship between the author their creations and uh, their audience yeah and um the whole thing has this magical realist style with like the elon the way how he just reacts to stuff that are just out mm. of this world in quite a nonchalant way it has this thing of like uh we're adjacent to magic but we we don't have magic type thing and it's like you're getting yeah. literally getting a window in it into a new world it's got like this et thing going for it yeah in that way i guess like but it's um yeah it's it's i guess that's why people keep comparing it to spielberg and i guess that's probably where i keep comparing it to spielberg as well i, but, I, I can definitely feel that to mm, a degree yeah yeah it's got like the the spielberg kind of like the the fam the you know like the um the way that he does like the whole family thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all of and that's in there. It's, it's yeah. often with like kids who are like, we don't know what the situation is in this, but it's often with kids who have like, the uh, parents have been divorced or uh, parents, has, uh, a parent has died or something like that. So yeah. it's always a focus on like um, just the world, the world that kids get up to when adults aren't around because adults have to do things like go to work. Yes. <laughs> But in short, yeah, this is uh, this is Olympia, and uh, if you if you enjoy comics, and um, you know, long time comics fan, new comics fan, is celebration of comics right here. So, uh, I would uh, just add as a possible non spoilery content warning: there is uh, like in story use of like a homophobic slur, and there is. Uh, like suicidal depiction to a degree so I would just go in with that yeah. portion yeah be wary of that issue issue three is quite heavy with the um like the I, I'd, I'd give a um a trigger warning for issue three hmm. yeah but yeah it's it's otherwise it's great um, so yeah, that was Olympia. That was the final Comic Con on our list today, and um, from there on, I guess we are going into the pool list, aren't we? So um, this is mostly stuff that uh, it's me, just me this week, I guess. Uh, so twelve um, for the second, which is when this podcast will be available. We've not done a pool list on here for a while, but I'll, I'm going to try and keep it brief. So you've got Batman Pennyworth R.I.P., which is going to be kind of like a celebration of the life of one of the most important people in the history of Gotham city as the, uh, the, the uh, synopsis puts it. And I agree. Um, and it's just, it's going to be, um, because Alfred died in the main Batman continuity and this is kind of like a, you know, a celebration of Alfred, I guess. Pennyworth so RIP. Pour out a cup of tea for fallen. For Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be back and you know it. <laughs> They're always back, <laughs> but no, it's, it's sad. 
and uh, I guess it's like Batman's dad dying all over again. So maybe even more painful than the first time. Could you say that? I don't know. Uh, to a degree, because Alfred's been around yeah. a lot longer. Alfred raised him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I picked up was Superman Heroes. Now, the reason I picked this one out is because it's like Superman's secret identity me being made available to everyone kind of thing. Okay. This, um, you've uh, piqued my interest. Yeah. So... <laughs> Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, the staff of the Daily Planet, even the Justice League, their lives all changed when Superman revealed his secret identity to the world. This unique Superman experience explores what the identity of Clark Kent meant to those close to him and what their relationship to Superman will be in the future. It's a one shot, I think. All rules are about to change and it starts here. And um, there's a lot of talent on here. You've got uh, Brian Michael Bendis, Greg Rooker, um, Steve Lieber. So it's it's like an all map fraction. It's like an all star cast of of talent like working on this thing, but I, I love the cover because it's like from Superman's point of view, like Superman looking down at everyone he knows, and he's holding his glasses, and I just got the idea. I've just got this image of him standing there going, Clark, soups, Clark, soups, <laughs> pulling the glasses on and off, and people just be like, whoa. <laughs> Like a baby when you play peekaboo. You know? Where'd he go? <laughs> it's like, how 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 did we miss this kind of thing? Like all those years, and it was just a pair of glasses. That was the only difference between the two guys. Like how, you know. It's like spectacle how? permanence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, how? But yeah, there we go. Um, so that's why that piqued my interest. And the last one for that week is uh, Alienated. Alienated number one, which uh, it seemed interesting. Uh, this is um, this is Simon Spurrier of John Constantine, Hellblazer and Coda and artist Chris Wildgoose of Batgirl, Batman Nightwalker. And they present a subversive coming of age story about having all the power to change the world, but the um, all the power to change the world, but the unready hands to truly wield it. Uh, three teenagers, each an outcast in their own way, stumble upon an unearthly entity as it's born. As they bond over this shared secret and the creature's incredible abilities, it becomes clear that the teenagers and their cute little pet is a super predator in the making and it's in need of prey. So guided by the best intentions at first, the teen's decision soon to become corrupted by adolescent desires, small town jealousies and internal rivalries, sending them into a catastrophic spiral of their own making. So um, it's kind of got a little bit of um, oh, what was that film that was basically Akira, but not Chronicle. That's it. Yeah. Kind of, kind of sounds like it's got a bit of chronicle about it and a little bit of ET about it and uh, it, it, like those kind of concepts and ideas floating about. Yeah, but flipped and sub and like um, subversive versions of uh, a subversion of those yeah. types of ideas. So that sounded quite interesting, and that's uh, alienated and that's published by Boom Studios nice. and that'll be available February twelfth. So that's something I had on there just to in case it piques anyone's interest. Um, 19th of the second, we've got uh, Wolverine number one, which is going to be like, it's a, a Wolverine 
number one in the in in with like um you know like the the recent x-men run yes so it's like it's like a wolverine in with all of that basically Uh, okay yeah so the best is back wolverine's been through a lot he's been a loner he's been a killer he's been a hero he's been an avenger i'm a loner i'm a killer i'm a hero i'm an avenger (laughs) he's been tailing back now as the nation of krakoa brings together all mutant kind can he finally be happy with his family all together and safe, Wolverine has everything he ever wanted and everything to lose. So, oh yeah, a plus the return of Omega Red. <laughs> okay, that's going to throw so, that out there. Okay, so It's like, yeah, Wolverine's on Krakoa now, still drinking, still the best at what he does, getting his regular beer and whiskey shipments from uh, from the Marauders. Because that seems to be Kitty Pride's like primary function right now. Like Captain Kate Pride of the Marauder seems to be primarily importing booze for Wolvie because booze isn't something that's easy to come by in Krakoa, according to these comics. So, <laughs> um, also just like honorable mention for nin- uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one hundred and three because if you were looking for a jumping on point for Turtles one hundred and one was your jumping on point and you should because it's great. And the new direction they're taking it in is fantastic. Um, this new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, this uh, Jenica, she's a fantastic character. She's getting her own uh, sort of miniseries coming soon as well. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Um, but yeah, just to remind you that there's a great jumping on point right now for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and it is a good place to start, so you should. Uh, the Old Guard Force Multiplied, which has been a thing since... Uh, the end of last year which is like the return of the old guard we talked about the old guard on this cast before Mm. um this is a like a a, this is kind of like season two of the old guard kind of thing uh the old guard is getting a netflix adaption yeah which uh is quite exciting as well quite interested to see um something actually that i picked up here called marvel's voices now this one um Marvel's Voices number one. So the world outside your window. Marvel's acclaimed podcast series focusing on telling the stories of diverse creators and their unique perspectives becomes a one shot of brand new adventures. The X-Men find their place in the world after clearing a new nation, Killmonger Strikes, Moon Girl and Devil Dino Return. So it's like a 40 page one shot celebrating diversity within Marvel. Um, And that, that comes out of a podcast. Inspired by the acclaimed podcast series, Marvel's Voices. So that's one to check. Uh, we've got God Killers, which was... You'll see why this appealed to me in a minute. Um, I was, was going to say, uh, because I initially misread that as Godzilla's, and I thought, what? <laughs> that no, sounds God, epic. <laughs> God Killers by Aftershock Comics. <laughs> Abdul Alzared is an Arab-American folklore professor turned soldier whose fear of death stems from uncertainty about the existence of an afterlife. Then he joins the God Killers, a special forces unit tasked with fighting insurgents who use mythological creatures as weapons of mass destruction. Now that he knows that the supernatural exists, he'll have to decide which is worse, death or the nightmarish monsters he thought were from were mere legends. From writer Mark Sable, Grounded, Fearless and Supergirl, and newcomer artist Man House, uh, of the, uh, the God Killers is a monster story for the modern age. And uh, the front cover's got some green tentacles on it. So... Come get you, Cthulhu. Um, 
a image comic called On the Stump, which sounded quite appealing. So this is the other one. This is, uh, again, February 19th. Uh, each issue of an arc one, each issue of arc one features a connecting variant covered by Sanford Green. The campaign trail is paved with blood and broken bones. History diverged in 1868 when a pivotal, a pivotal presidential debate turned violent. Today, elections are decided by highly publicised hand-to-hand combat in arenas called stumps. Unfortunately, the violence doesn't end in the ring. The powerful people can still get away with murder. Uh, Senator Jack Hammer and the FBI agent Annabelle Lister are teaming up to bring it all down. And uh, this is Chuck Brown of Bitterroot um, with Italian artist Prenzi and letterer Clayton Cowles to create a hyper-violent tale full of countless injustices and people who have to fight for their place in it. So it's yeah. What if uh, what if presidential elections were decided by UFC matches? <laughs> yeah, that may be the um, only way. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, this this one because it amused me. So you know how we talk a lot about Riverdale and how Riverdale is kind of like the plug hole where everything ends up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Archie meets the B fifty twos. So it's a rock and roll adventure for the ages as Archie and his friends cross path with a real rock lobster, the B-52s. I always got to wonder, like, this this comes out. (laughs) I know this comes off the back of Archie meets the Ramones and the Archies and Archie meets Kiss. Is is this all? um, (laughs) Is this this all all the doing of the... uh, the almighty overlord of Archie comics is he God. just ha- having his cake and eating it. I don't know who's doing this, but, um, I am down <laughs> for this kind of like, you know, this is, this kind of stuff's my palate cleanser, this kind of like ridiculousness that come, that, that comes out of Archie, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm down for this. I'm down. Yeah, for you've this been keeping up with these, haven't you? Not all of them, but you know, like a lot of them. Oh, and there's an all red cover as well, which kind of just like it's Archie and the B-52s running away from a giant lobster, <laughs> as, as as they want to do. <laughs> yeah. So this is you know this is like Laura Alred cover. This is and and it's just you know it's, it's yeah. There we go. <laughs> Archie meets the B-52s. So yeah, um, pick that up if you're looking for something light because a lot of the stuff we've mentioned here can be quite heavy. Hmm. Um, and that is the end of Ace Comicals episode number 81. So you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything we do. You can find us to listen to us in everywhere that you can find podcasts these days apple podcast castbox castro overcast pocket cast spotify stitcher and tune in um spotify being i think i think that's my favorite listening platform actually uh, really yeah how is it with podcasts like when you listen to a podcast do the controls change so that if you hit uh, back it goes back 15 seconds instead of yeah yeah it has all that on it yeah okay oh uh, it sounds silly but i've never actually listened to a podcast on spotify you should it's it's it's, i mean if you i i i like spotify as a service i pay for spotify it's where i do most of my music listening these days so 
it's a good it's a good it, I, I think i like listening to podcasts on spotify um because it's it's there on my phone it's easy it's yeah and they're getting that, big into the game they've bought um a couple of people uh big mm. companies uh spotify yeah. might be the home of podcasting soon mm-hmm. um you can get in touch with us at acecomicals at gmail.com uh you can get in touch with us at twitter which is uh at ace comicals uh you can at us you can dm us you can send us emails um you know send us questions get involved in the conversation send us your thoughts on what we've been reading maybe even suggest something for us to read um leon where can we find you you can find me on twitter uh at leon everett and uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's uh, B A T T O U. Uh, if you really want to, as well, if you if you're that way inclined, um, you can donate the price of a coffee at uh, Kofi.com/slash Ace Comicals. Any donations we receive go to offset the cost of keeping the cast alive and keeping the lights on here at Ace Comicals. So there we go. Um, yeah. So that has been Ace Comicals number eighty-one. That's Ace Comicals over and out.